I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we receive God's word together. We're, of course, been in this series in Genesis as we've been examining the life of Abraham, and we're going to continue that today as we consider the prayer of faith. And I'm going to begin in Genesis 18 and read in verse 16, although, quite frankly, I could have used the entire chapter as we'll be looking at it uh, this morning. But let me begin here in verse 16, Genesis 18. Would you hear the word of the Lord? When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. May God add his blessing to that word. Please be seated. Pastor Bob Russell was on a mission trip to Kenya in the early 90s. He noticed that in a certain village area where many people were living, they were living in huts of twigs and manure that were small and unsanitary. World Vision, a Christian organization, had offered to build a new hut for anyone who could come up with 200 shillings, which is about 60 American dollars at that time. The new hut was larger and made of mortar and stone and would be, of course, much more sanitary. A man who had six children invited them into his hut, 
And he asked Bob, or he asked the missionary who was with Bob for 200 shillings. Well, the missionary, he was part of the community. He didn't have the money, but Bob said when he understood the request and knew that this man was a dedicated Christian, he and his companion on the trip made the decision to give $30 each to use it for this man and his family so that they would have a place to live. Well, the next day, a 13-year-old Maasai boy by the name of Kasatra asked to see Bob privately. This 13-year-old had gone to him, and and he had been following uh, the missionary team all week. He he loved church. He loved praising God. He talked about even becoming a preacher someday. But through an interpreter, he said to Bob, I want to be your friend. Bob said, I would like to be your friend too. If we're friends, we could exchange gifts, said the boy. What can I give you? Well, Bob thought for a minute, and he said, I'll tell you what, I would like to have an orinka. Now, an orinka is a, is a carved wooden club that's carried by all the, the Maasai boys, and, and men, actually. And Kasatra said, I will carve you one for myself. If It will be the finest one that I could make. Well, that's wonderful. I'll be able to put it in my office in the America, and every time I see it, I'll think about my trip here and our friendship together. Now, what can I give you? And he said, well, I would like for you to buy me a new hut for my mom and my father. You see, my mother is blind and my father is crippled and they will never be able to afford a new hut. Would you buy one for me? Well, Bob says he was a little stunned and he thought to himself, son, you will make a good preacher someday. (laughs) And Bob looked at the boy and said, you asked for a big thing and the boy nodded and then Bob says he squirmed and he remembered that several weeks several days before he had just been in a resort in the country and done a round of golf that cost more than $60 and so Bob said son you're going to get that new hut but I will give the money to the missionary and he will see that it gets built and then Bob said this he said you know that day I felt like a very rich man I own a house in Kentucky and two in Kenya. But you know, that young man knew something. When we're friends, I I can ask for something big. We have a relationship, and because of that relationship, we can be bold to ask when we need help. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. And, and you know, our prayers can, can be like that. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because he that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If we really believe that God exists and we believe that God is good and gracious and kind, should it not be most natural to pray? God invites us to bring our requests to him. Jesus said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus taught his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. And so 
I, I want us to be honest this morning and, and, and take stock here. If we never find ourselves in prayer, it truly is evidence that we really don't believe that God exists or that he has an impact in our world. We truly don't believe that he will keep his word. You see, prayer is the natural expression of a believing heart. Abraham was a man of faith, and we discover that he knew how to pray. In Genesis 18, in the first verse, in the front of the passage we just read, we're told that the Lord appears to Abraham again. In fact, verse 1 says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw the three men standing nearby and when he saw them he hurried from the entrance of his tent and he bowed low to the ground. Abraham knew the Lord well enough by this point to recognize that these men were not just ordinary visitors. Apparently as we read on we learn that the two of these men are, are probably angels and one of them is the Lord himself. We call that in the uh, scriptures a Christophany. I think Jesus Christ was at that entrance of the tent. He receives and accepts worship. In verse 3, Abraham says, My Lord, do not, let your ser- do not pass by your servant. He goes on to say, Let me wash your feet. Let me fix a meal for you. Stay a while. In fact, verse 8 says, While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. And so I want you to see this morning that Abraham welcomes these supernatural visitors. And I want you to think about that because many of us, if our hearts were unveiled this morning, if he showed up, what would we do? So many of us are are rather comfortable at keeping him at a distance. We're not sure we want him coming to the entrance of our tents. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Some of you may have heard uh, what was happening at Asbury University this week. My son, uh, Micah, attends there and he called on Wednesday evening to tell us that the chapel service that had begun that morning was still going on and as of this morning it's still going on people are worshiping and repenting and singing and reconciling God showed up and people people just don't want to leave pastor I follow on Twitter in the area reported this he said I believe that much growth in grace happens in normal life and liturgy and I'm quite weary of the hype and wary of manipulation but Jesus also says that the spirit blows where it will and yesterday morning this was written on Thursday I believe Asbury University uh, chapel started at 10 a.m. At 10.45, they gave the benediction. And as the gospel choir sang once more, something happened. Students just stayed, praying for one another, 
for themselves and for their world, singing songs of worship, reciting scripture from all over the auditorium. At 3.30, I joined them. At 8 o'clock, I went back. The next morning, I went again. This afternoon, I went again. Hundreds of students lifting their hearts in confession and praise and intercession. I'm pretty much allergic to emotional manipulation, but this seems so different. There's such a vivid, palpable sense of hope and joy and peace. It was immediately obvious to me why no one wants to leave. The good news is truly so good and so beautiful. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, we should cherish him. Verse 10 in this passage, the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, if you've been following this, God has been making this prediction for 25 years, but this is the first time that he puts a specified time frame. And we read that Sarah, who's listening at the entrance of this tent, of course, she is old, Abraham is old, she's 89, and Abraham is 99 at this point, and so Sarah laughs. I'm worn out, my husband is old, how could I possibly have this pleasure? She laughs. You know she really didn't believe because if she was an 89-year-old woman about to become pregnant, she wouldn't have laughed, she would have cried, right? <laughs> but these three men get up to leave and the Bible says that Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Abraham doesn't want them to go. He enjoys the, the fellowship, the intimacy, the opportunity. And at this moment, the Lord says, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do in the city of Sodom? The outcry is great. The sin is greater. I'm about to use Abraham to build a great nation, but the city of Sodom is a poison to that plan and should be destroyed. And then the Bible talks about these men, these angels, I believe, walk away, and now it's just Abraham before the Lord. And this is what I want you to see. Effective prayer begins with a friendship with God. James 2.23 says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Abraham got into this conversation with God because he is God's friend. He had a close relationship with God. He wanted to be with God. He wanted to know God. God was sharing intimate things with him. Rosalind Reiner wrote, prayer is a conversation between two people who love each other. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. James says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful. 
Now, God may hear, of course, the emergency prayer of a stranger, but I want you to know that God wants more than just an occasional crisis conversation. He wants daily fellowship. And I think, you know, Jeff, we're the Friends Church. And we have that name for a reason, don't we? John 15, 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And one of the ways we become friends with God is to walk in obedience to his word, to his instructions. We come to know God by reading and reflecting on his word, understanding his mind and his will, his purpose, and yet realize this morning we have so much more than Abraham did. We have the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, when he comes upon his people, when we come together and worship and we experience his presence, we have this fellowship with him that Abraham did not know. It's, it's possible that he can show up today. You see, you, you can read all the books on music, but you'll never learn to play the piano unless you sit down at the piano. And you can read books on prayer. You can listen to sermons on prayer. But you're never going to be a person of prayer until you get alone with God. When I was in my early teens, my family uh, went with my aunt and uncle, uh, Uncle uh, Glenn and Aunt Judy, with my cousin Danny. Danny was a year older than me. He was my best friend. We went up to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan for vacations. We would swim and fish and play tennis. Great, great memories. So much fun. But my cousin Danny uh, was a year older than me, so while we were friends, I sort of looked up to him. Well, I happened to notice before bed each night, he would pull out a copy of the Daily Bread and his Bible, and then he'd pray every night. And there I was, like an idiot, just laying there. It's kind of awkward. Never mind, I wasn't going to let this guy get closer to God than me. And so I began the habit doing the same thing. It may not surprise you that Danny later felt a call to ministry. He went to Malone University, eventually on to Asbury Seminary. And do you realize that one of the reasons I sensed, I believe, a call to ministry was very likely because my best friend, who was just ahead of me, had done the same thing? My senior year in college, my Aunt Judy called me and said, Jeff, uh, I need you to drive Danny home from Asbury Seminary. He needs surgery, brain surgery. I'll never forget that trip home. We stopped at a Red Lobster in Cincinnati to have dinner together. We knew what was about to happen was serious. Dan died a few weeks after that surgery. He never woke up. But I think this morning how someday I'm going to thank him for his example to me. of moving me toward that commitment to a daily time with God. You know, Jesus said when you pray, 
Don't pray in the street corner. Go into your closet. Close the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. But I've also learned, and I think mom and dad, I believe Jesus was right. But I think it's a very good thing to let your kids catch you once in a while. Reading that Bible and praying for them. I know this, and I've got so much to learn in this area still, but I could not cope with the pressures and challenges of ministry without myself being with God, without the faithful prayers of my wife. Prayer begins with a friendship with God. And the good news, Jesus proves he wants to be our friend. But the second thing I want you to see here is that effective prayer emphasizes intercession for others. When Abraham learns about what is happening or going to happen to Sodom and it's going to be destroyed, he becomes concerned. I, I contrast that. Remember Jonah? When Jonah hears that, that Nineveh, the city, is in jeopardy, he takes off as far away from Nineveh as he can go. He doesn't want to warn them. But Abraham, in faith, cares about the people of Sodom. He knows God. He knows about his nephew Lot and, and, and his family who are living there. So Abraham steps in the gap and begins to intercede for them. The Bible says, Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? And wouldn't you know, the Lord agrees. If there are 50 righteous people there, he will not destroy the city. Abraham, however, knows the city, and he thinks to himself, you know, I probably reached a little high here. If you look at verse 27, Abraham begins this process of sounding like an auctioneer in reverse. 45? 40? Don't be angry. 30? What if 20? By the way, the God of the Old Testament is the same God that we see in the New Testament. He is full of grace and patience and mercy. Verse 32 says, Then Abraham said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? And the Lord answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Now Abraham is thinking Lot and his family and their kids and husbands and what. At least there are ten. So, so verse 33 reads, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left Abraham and returned home. Listen, sometimes when you have prayed for somebody, and parents, you know this, it, it might be your own children, it might be your spouse, maybe your nation, maybe your church, and you realize, that's all I can do. I trust God. I know his heart. I'm going to just turn it over to the Lord and leave it there. 
You see, as, as people of faith, we ought to be praying on behalf of others, not just praying for ourselves. The night that Jesus was arrested, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, not just for himself he prayed there, but for his followers, that they would be one and that they would be faithful to the truth. Romans 8.34 says that Christ is still praying for us. He, stands at the, he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Romans 8.26 reminds us we don't know what or how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I remember the story of Peter in prison in Acts and the people in that upper room powerfully went before the Lord and asked God to spare him, and Peter was freed that night miraculously. James 5.13 says, Pray for each other so that we may be healed. We, we are to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, I urge you, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for all people, for kings and all who are in authority. I just want to tell you, we announced this earlier, but, but let, me, let me ask you to really carve this out. On Ash Wednesday, we're going to have a prayer service. We're going to have a prayer service that evening of healing and anointing. And we'll talk more about that maybe next Sunday. But we're, we're going to do this in a sense of, of seeking God and believing that he is going to do something when God's people pray for the good of others. And if we love and believe God, we will pray to him. And if we love others, we will pray for them. And so I invite you to come. But the third thing I want you to see here is that effective prayer produces positive results. Now, wait a minute. You know this story, right? Pastor, Abraham prayed, but you remember what happened to the city of Sodom? It was not spared. And I don't have time this morning, of course, to go into all the details, but the wickedness of the city was so incredible, and, and so the angels go, and they end up taking Lot's family and leading them safely out of the city. And here's the thing. God was not merciful to Lot and his family because they were righteous. If you go on and read this, you find out that his daughters weren't righteous. And Lot's wife wasn't righteous. You remember that story, don't you? She was told, don't look back. But she was so enamored by the city, so enamored by, by what was happening there, the city of Sodom, Sodom, that she lingered behind and she looked back and the Bible says that she was turned into a pillar of salt. One little boy in Sunday school heard that story and he raised his hand and he said, you know, my mother looked back the other day and she turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> Law wasn't righteous either. But isn't it amazing? Listen, they weren't spared because they were good. They were spared because of the intercession of Abraham. Look at verse 29 in chapter 19. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham 
and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. You see, prayer makes a difference. I know sometimes when we pray, the results aren't exactly what we thought they might be, maybe what we would have done. I prayed for people who have terminal illness and they died. I've seen people, however, who've been miraculously healed too. And I really don't understand fully why some prayer is affirmed of, uh, 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 is made and, and God affirms it and some he doesn't. But I believe in his heart and I trust him. And if, if you don't have anyone to pray for, you pray for me. I've been really teary this week. It's been an emotional couple of weeks for various reasons. I found this verse in Romans 15:30. Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Would you pray that I would be filled with wisdom, that I would resist temptation, that I would be an ambassador of grace and glory, more like Jesus, who was filled with grace and wisdom? Steve Brown said this. He said, you pray for the strong because they are weak. Pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on that coworker, that spouse. As we sing this morning, I want you to know if you are not following Jesus, and, 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 and Richard, thank you for just being clear about this. If you don't know Christ, if you have never responded to him, there are people praying for you family members Christian friends the Lord himself intercedes on our behalf and I've been praying this week that God would break through and show us that, that this world like Sodom is destined for destruction fire fell on Sodom and the only way out is through the saving grace of Jesus Christ my prayer is that you would humbly put your trust in him, confess your sin, confess your faults, declare him publicly that he is Lord and Savior and decide to follow him with all your heart. It's our prayer that you'd have the courage to stand and have the humility to say, I need him. And the only hope I have is through Jesus Christ and he alone can lead me to everlasting life. But then God reminded me this week as I prepared this message, you know, God wants desperately to send a different fire. A fire of anointing. A fire of repentance. A fire of longing. A fire of longing to know him more. A Pentecost fire. 
maybe the most important thing happening in our world today is not the Super Bowl in Arizona, but what God wants to do here this morning in North Olmstead. Let's pray together. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. If you need to just spend some time with him this morning, I think a pretty good place may be at your seat or maybe it is just humble yourself and come to this altar and say, Lord, I long to know you better. I long to be renewed. I long to be filled with a fire and passion for you. Change the world, yes, but oh God, change me. And maybe this morning is your day when you say yes to the saving grace that Christ offers and only he can give. Maybe you need to come and publicly declare that you're with him. So I'm going to invite you to stand or sit, come to this altar and kneel, whatever you need to do. But let's, let's not be afraid to be with him this morning.